0: From among the five gifted nominees tonight, the winner could be, for the first time, a woman. Barbara Streisand spoke these auspicious words on Oscar night 2010, as she prepared to read off the winner for that year's Best Directing Prize. It was not evident at the time that Catherine Bigelow would walk away a historical victor, for her modestly sized independent film about distressed bomb technicians in Iraq had stiff competition, including a movie which remains the highest grossing film of all time. Pluck persevered that evening ultimately, and The Hurt Locker took not only the Oscar for Best Director, but Best Picture and four more awards too, including for Mark Boll and his journalistically inspired Best Original Screenplay. Boll and Bigelow would continue their collaborative relationship for the director's two subsequent films, Keeping their grasp on the contemporary with an account of the 10 year quest to locate and eliminate Osama bin Laden, the extremist orchestrator of the September 11th attacks on the United States. Zero Dark 30 was a successful follow up for Bigelow in 2012, garnering near universal critical praise and a bevy of award season accolades. It was also met with great controversy, though, triggering the ire of many who saw its depiction of enhanced interrogation techniques as an endorsement of the U.S.'s employment of torture as a valid practice for extracting information, including that of three sitting U.S. Senators and the Acting Director of the CIA. Despite all the tension, Zero Dark Thirty did exceptionally at the box office, betting more than twice its initial budget in domestic grosses alone. For her last film to date, Bigelow plunges into her most politically embroiled topic yet. Up until now, her partnership with Mark Bull has centered exclusively on the United States' dealings overseas. But for their third collaboration, Detroit, the pair turn inward to examine America's extrajudicial actions on their own population. The relationship between the country's police force and its systemic subjugation of Black citizens is a subject we've seen Bigelow tackle previously, proving that much has remained depressingly the same in the 20 years since she last broached the topic, or even the 50 years since the events of Detroit took place. Whether the film's release was arguably botched by distributors or if moviegoers were still reticent to engage with an uncompromisingly brutal portrait of racial violence inherent to the justice systems of our country, audiences failed to show up in 2017, leaving our tenacious trailblazing auteur empty handed at the box office and uncertain about the future. Catherine Bigelow is 70 years old as of today. And although there have been a number of suggestions bandied about for her next project, it's unclear if she has any plans on the horizon, or if indeed we will see another film from her anytime soon.
1: Welcome back to the Twin Geeks. It's 147. We have uh, the last three of Catherine Bigelow. That's just gone by real quick.
0: Yeah. Those uh those last three films certainly uh have a have a different shift in them and, and they definitely uh, take place in this whole series. Yeah, it's it's gone by rather quickly. Ten films. Ten films we've covered in a three-week period. Uh good good for us.
1: Yeah, it feels good. Uh feels more accomplished. We were just talking than doing it piecemeal and having a uh, discussions about films we thought we might both like when uh, we could be having discussions about a whole filmography and finding a uh, different tastes and flavors throughout
0: all of it would you say this time around uh watching through this director's filmography you found any hidden gems you didn't know about before anything you weren't you you, you didn't think you would come across otherwise
1: i think strange days was the the one that i was most surprised by and i'm interested in watching on another new year's um, good timing at the start of the year to get that yeah. one in
0: yeah i think that's that's going to be the case and for people listening as well uh, i think you know part of the goal of this is to highlight some films they probably wouldn't otherwise search for so, so strange days and probably near dark as well is probably the other one people wouldn't have heard of otherwise i probably wouldn't have seen near dark otherwise if i hadn't just like on a whim gone and seen it at a theater last year because it was it was like a 35 millimeter print and first time going back to that theater in um, more than a year because of the pandemic. So that was a very nice experience.
1: I'm also glad that we're doing something so totally unique and uh, singular (laughs) to us. Uh, I was just alerted by a friend that Blank Check had done this series. And uh, uh, so welcome back to Blank Check with uh, Calvin (laughs) and David. This is a podcast about directors who amass uh, massive success in their careers and get to make whatever passion projects they want. Um, (laughs) Then we find out if the check clears or bounces, baby. I think that's their intro. I think that's what they say.
0: I don't know. I I've not listened to them. They they seem to do a lot of like populist modern yeah, stuff. Yeah, o- which, outside which, your
1: zone usually.
0: Right, and and Bigelow kind of like fits into that mold. Certainly, I I think her association with James Cameron lends a little bit of that. Like a little bit of his populism rubs off onto her, because right. as we've seen here, uh, she's got maybe like three films that really kind of pierce the mainstream yeah, and um, more films, which have just absolutely like floundered, like, like really, really floundered. <laughs> so
1: that was the surprise to me is that she had so many box office misses. and um, I didn't know there was a weight of water in there, which is just like an absolute abysmal, like miss of even, even touching a tangential market, even the ones that we disagree about, or we feel we have mixed feelings about, I feel like there's a market for them. Like there's a reason to make them but I was surprised she had a few that I was like, huh, that's interesting. I think Blue Steel also and Detroit is just, I've seen it, but I don't, I don't know, like the log line for that
0: movie. We'll get to it. Yeah. Yeah. we got some interesting things to discuss, but uh, the first is, uh, again, I think a very interesting turning point, especially from where we came off of last film from her, we, you know, and chronologically here was K-19, the Widowmaker, uh, of course, the the famous submarine film starring Harrison Ford that everybody loves, everybody, <laughs> that you love. I liked it. I didn't. Li- I didn't even love it. That was the thing: is that I, I I agreed with you, and that I found it like hollow in terms of its purpose. <laughs> like, I'm yeah. like, this was this was a very well directed, but kind of empty. You know, l- l- like thriller movie. That's and the point I
1: keep getting to with Bigelow. I'm like, why did you do that? <laughs> you know, like, <laughs> why did you make
0: this movie? Yeah, that's I, I, been one of the more fascinating aspects is trying to find where where kind of like 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 she politically stands on this because she's very engaged in political topics clearly, especially yeah. with these these last three films. You can see that go uh, that that bend really take place, but um, but, but her stance ultimately is kind of enigmatic, especially like if you compare it as a whole career wise. You're like you made this, but also this. Even at her most engaged, it's like she's like, oh, I showed it. I show
1: what I needed to show and now you understand me and there's no way you could uh, call it out. And
0: uh, it never works that way uh, for mm-hmm. Catherine Bigelow. Yeah. Very, very interesting. When we get there uh, <laughs> again, a, a lot to dive into. So let's just, let's just start um, with, with the, the Hurt, Hurt Locker, Locker. which was the film that I think kind of, you know, centered and, and catapulted Bigelow's name into the mainstream here. We we knew and loved Catherine Bigelow from you know Point Break before and such for some cult hits and things. But with The Hurt Locker, she became the first woman to be awarded a Best Directing Prize in the entire history of the Academy Awards. And there's only been one other since then,
1: <laughs> like Hurt Locker or not. It's a historical film. Um, it'll always be a historical film. Not just for the messages in it, but uh, especially its status there.
0: Yeah. Yeah. And and it's it doesn't feel like a token handout no. at the time. Well, uh-huh. I, I actually watched back. I don't know uh, if you did. I, I took that quote in the beginning from the actual presentation. But uh, one of the things I left out in, in the intro there is that it was not only the chance for a woman to win, but also the opportunity for the first uh, black director potentially to win as well oh. that year.
1: What was that? What was the film they had?
0: Um, it was uh, Lee Daniels for Precious. Okay, a film I don't know much about, but but that's good. It was it was very good big year. when it came out. I remember that. I I remember this time period, despite being kind of only vaguely into in, in film at the at the time period. Mm-hmm. But yeah, so it it was a big deal. But it also goes to show how man the Academy really. <laughs> really was behind still in 2010 guys 2010 is the first time you rec- were going to recognize either a woman or a, a blank director but you know they did it and and
1: and since then they've added to their membership every year more diverse voices and and you know every year they have like a hundred something like international voices now so that uh, they are building up a system where these things could happen more often again
0: it's it's slow progress, but it's progress, and uh, the progress has been dictated by the the whole of our our society. I would say, is is what keeps the pressure and pushes um, the institutions like that to make the the tra- the change. So,
1: so in the Hurt Locker, it's from Mark Bull's story. He was embedded in Iraq with like a bomb diffusion um, team of experts there, and. Uh, he wrote like this kind of unrealistic but very entertaining depiction of what that would look like like you might not get like a hot dog guy that's out there like just hot dogging around the the machinery you have to be like an expert and uh very precise and uh probably follow every order to the d to survive that mission
0: per- perhaps but i mean like i've i've met some military meatheads before so i'm like the the character isn't beyond the realm of believability to me he what Jeremy Renner's character represents uh again like like he, it it doesn't have to be like like realistic in terms of his actions for it to be realistic in terms of his spirit and and the feelings that he represents uh as this this kind of very jaded um uh, you know m- character you know from from the military and and what war has kind of done to him and and that also extends to the other two characters of the films. Uh, primarily, I would say, and Mackie especially as well, all of them kind of represent these different, you know, effects of war externally, you know, on, on the individuals there. And and what I especially love about the film is the the very neutral lens it has about the whole conflict there. It's just about, like, the, the people in the conflict there. It's not about whether it was right or wrong or... You know the the political dealings you know the motivation for them being there or whatnot it's just like hey there are these people these human beings in this tumultuous conflict and this is the the effects and how they you know have to deal with it here and it doesn't paint their actions as uh you know either heroic or non-heroic it just paints them as survival which is a little ironic because the, the advertising is about being a hero which which feels very antithetical to what the film ultimately is. I like that.
1: He's picking up pieces that seem to like mortally damage him in some way. He's a, the hurt locker is just this thing. He keeps at his bedside, right. Where he's collecting these um, articles from, you know, the, everything he diffuses, he's taking like wires and kind of just like uh, going over them at night and experiencing like the, you know the the fallout of everything he's had to
0: diffuse and yeah you, you were talking about the, the 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 box of the different like fuses and stuff from his uh, from, from all the various bombs he's taken apart over the years.
1: yeah um, I, I think it's just so good at building that uh, internal internal aspect of the characters. Uh, you kind of feel what they're going through and see what they collect during the war and and how it wears on them and how nobody leaves uh, clean exactly everyone's damaged by this
0: yeah and and again there's a there's a full spectrum of characters here it's not just like a single piece study as well you really get a lot from the supporting performances as well but jeremy renner in in particular is is incredible he gives a a, a truly you know award-deserving lead performance here very capable uh and nothing like i think we've seen generally even since then which is a shame this really like kind of catapulted him a bit but then he he, he's kind of been left lingering you know since then he did what like a born movie shortly yeah. after this he became an Avenger
1: uh yeah not interesting stuff until he made that app the Jeremy Renner app was probably his most interesting arc after the Hurt Locker and I, I logged a lot of time on that app a lot of trolls on there um, making fun of him for creating an app about himself. It's kind of like a, a virtual Hurt Locker, if you think about it, collecting uh, remembrances of fans. and
0: I, I feel like you have to explain what this is, because I genuinely don't know what you're talking about.
1: Okay, Jeremy Renner made an app like three years ago where he uh, had fans come on and just post about him. So it was a social network for Jeremy Renner heads. Uh, that
0: seems that seems very narcissistic.
1: Especially because this is, like, the one performance. Like, I mean, he has others, obviously, but this is, you know, the one where I felt like he was accurately directed and given the right direction readings and where it all worked out for him. So uh, there wasn't a lot to go off once you had the app in front of you, and mostly it was people just trolling Jeremy Renner and uh, admin I, team fighting that constantly.
0: I know we had a huge, like fan base from like the avengers and stuff like people loved hawkeye immediately for some reason um like you know that there was a bit of cult around him uh when when that came out but again like like what what's it sustained (laughs) off of he didn't have like a a plethora of roles thereafter to to really like like follow yeah like the hawkeye show i
1: think that came out last month that was last
0: that just happened yeah yeah
1: people love that uh so that's something they're still engaging with him as an actor.
0: Yeah, I guess I'm, I'm trying to think of anything else where he's been relevant. Like I said, I know he did a Bourne film, but like, the, the series was pretty dead by that point. And then they still made another film after that anyway. <laughs> I guess that's something to say. I was I was worried in the beginning watching this because I felt the effects of Paul Greengrass lingering into <laughs> the cinematography of the film at first. I'll, I'll say it, it, it stopped being that very quickly but oh, at first I was like oh shit this is what we're doing oh no and the the cinematographer for the film um I'll pull up his name here again real quick Barry uh Barry Aykroyd uh I I actually looked I'm like oh this this isn't just like uh, the after effects of this, this is the motherfucker himself mm-hmm. uh you know he he worked with um Paul Greengrass like just before this on like United 93. Yeah, and it shows on a number of films thereafter. Like uh, you know, he he did uh, Captain Phillips as well and such. And I'm like, yeah, this is this is coming through, very very strong. The Green Zone, but um, overall, it didn't end up impeding it because the the surety of the direction really came through in creating those very tense and very controlled chaos. You know that that bigelow is really displayed throughout her career very phenomenally and perhaps never better maybe never better than in the hurt locker uh as far as for just like really putting you in the moment and really like wringing out that tension to to the extreme uh i, I felt very you know it, intense uh every time that there was a bomb diffusing scene and, and one of my favorite elements of it as well was coming out was like there was never a release of that tension. Like when the bomb was diffused, it, you know, uh, unlike when you have like an explosion where it's like, you know, it's it's this external realization of that. It's just, it's it's a nothing. And if anything, it's like an uncertainty. You don't know if maybe the bomb isn't actually diffused. Maybe it could still go off. And that felt very genuine to what the feeling of a of, of bomb defusal would be. Like there would still be a, a, a lingering question of, it, will this still go off
1: and you have uh, everyone surrounding him too who the whole movie they look at the iraqis down barrel right like they're they're exclusively using their rifles to look at them like uh some guys have binoculars but mostly you're looking through a barrel uh pointing guns at people so there's this other perspective like it's not just the bomb but it's everything surrounding the bomb
0: it feels like there are bombs on every clock tower, you know. Like yeah, there's... all of, all of the people around are potential threats. There's there's the scene yeah. where they're defusing the bomb at the the UN area, where it's in like the car trunk, and you just got the two guys. They're just like constantly looking around and seeing for any people, any suspicious people hanging around who might be, you know, the ones triggering the bomb. Again, it's because it, all very well set up from the opening sequence, which uh, pulls pulls the psycho shift on us there where you've got big name you got guy pierce at the beginning of the film and he just uh, immediately dies from going to blow up the thing and they do it again later because they have ray fines too and he shows up and then dies very suddenly like like i was i was excited when ray fines showed up i'm like oh yeah ray fines we love love him and everything uh i thought about strange days again because he's got that relationship with canter bigelow and then it's like it's like that he's just It
1: was a very exciting
0: minute and a half when we thought it was a Ray (laughs) Fiennes vehicle
1: within the movie until he got shot through his head, which was another interesting thing that these uh, uh, guy from Intelligence, uh, Anthony Mackie's character, and then Renner's uh, bomb defusal guy became expert snipers. Like, some of these things are just things that make a movie good, right? Like, you want them to be able to pick it up and, you know, shoot a guy while he's running toward a building and, you know, expert shot there. But uh, I also like the, the idea, like, Guys run toward the building. You can't quite keep a count on how many people are actually hostile. Like you're, you're kind of stuck in with them, and there's never a any sure thing. There's like no command of leadership. They're, mm-hmm. they're not like being followed with a general. Like nobody is ever in charge. It's like the Iraq War, like in a in a total package, because you're never sure who the enemy is, who's in charge, what your are uh, prerogative is to be there and you're also looking down barrel at everyone so everyone is on guard on either side of the equation it
0: it feels very reflective of the actual conflict because it does feel like there is no overarching objective they're just uh, exactly a a handful of guys who are put out here you know and are now under like extreme duress they no longer want to be here and they don't know what they're doing it for and they just occasionally are sent out um you know to take care of things again like like just bombs in the middle of somewhere It they don't know who they're planted by it's not clear again like right. like who who are we hunting here who are we attacking I, you know the the iraqis are not painted as you know like uh, antagonistic forces you know the people who they do have shootouts with are not painted as as very you know uh overt adversaries you know we don't even know necessarily who they're they're functioning for or why they're shooting and that's Again, the whole point of this they're not you know even when they have people shooting at them you know it doesn't seem to be out of malice or you know opposition to the the united states you know in particular it's just it's a it's a you know it feels like a matter of fact you know element of the situation and very and the situation you know the the perspective of the camera could just as easily be with them in terms of you know what what we're watching here and in terms like It feels like the tension and the frustration and the depravity of war we're feeling with the American soldiers applies just as equally to the people that they're shooting at, the people that they're supposedly against in this scenario. It's a a surprising level of objectivism that the script has that... uh, I don't know that subsequent projects had, but also that I did not expect necessarily yeah. from this. It does, uh, especially for the time period as well. Like you go in, you're like, 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 I, I definitely kind of had to like, like compose myself, work myself. I'm like, all right, it's Jingo time. Let's, let's go, let's do this. And it and it wasn't like that.
1: And it was never like that. Um, I think the important thing too, is getting like a, maybe a less actionable role, like bomb diffusion, of course, is not like a, is not an aggressor in like the war, like inherently. Um, I like the modern takes on things like that. Like uh, 1917 is about a messenger. I don't know if he, I think he fires a couple shots, the entire movie. Like there are other ways to frame a war movie than to just be the Marine or the guy down in the trenches. Like uh, you could uh, also look at these other aspects of war that could be inherently more interesting and show like the actual nature of the conflict because as you say, there's no directive in the Iraq war. I mean, you're just there um, until you could set up like a failed democratic government and then nothing happens and nothing's changed. And I think there is like a simpler version of this movie where there's just Iraqi warlords. You go in, you solve the mission and there's some like final like clause, like, okay, uh, we've settled something or we've achieved something, but nothing's ever quite achieved by the end of the movie. Mostly people are lost and then nothing happens.
0: Right. And that's very, it's, it's reflective of what the nature of the Iraq war was. There wasn't really an objective, you know, it felt very, uh, pointless for everyone involved. And again, even in hindsight, what was the, the overall goal? It was very muddled and it was a, it was a giant clusterfuck from the beginning. And it was a constant attempt at, you know, the, the government trying to cover the tracks for why they were even there. (laughs) And just so, so much of a mess was made that they, couldn't necessarily be pulled out but just you know still so much trying to obfuscate the reasoning behind everything and just just keep you know hitting the the nationalism button essentially over and over to keep you know engagement to war and keep the people from turning on it
1: it's also like this moment where war was forever changing where rumsfield and people in the u.s were saying we're going to fight a different kind of war. Now we have drones and now we have this technology and we're going to fight a more technological war. But then you're encountering people in the desert who have like the most uh, just like abstract like um, environment that they know like from like generations of evolution. Like they're just implanted there and they know how to fight in a way that we never anticipated. So it was like this weird like hyper tech push toward Uh, warfare without generals and then it was also like this a you know very ancient warfaring like society that knows how
0: to fight in a whole different
1: way like just those two against each other was so unique to
0: iraq Mm -hmm. but again most importantly this is a a character piece and a contemplation on the effects of war on an individual you know again it's it's not inherently interested in, in you know musing on the war itself uh because it understands that it's you know fruitless it's you know it's a uh not not a worthwhile endeavor and so it instead it's you know it's it lasers in on the uh the the effects and and how it manifests you know, the, you know the 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 burden and the pressure on on the individuals there and that really comes through in all the characters very uh very well exceedingly well it's a it's a very moving film very um you know again like like technically tense you know uh, emotionally thrilling and um critical all at the same time very very you know thematically astute and so i'd say it's again one of the more resounding successes of a career but obviously there are still a couple reservations it's not it's not quite perfect
1: yeah I think I think where it excels most is building like the emotional layer with Brenner and uh, Mackie, especially like their bond and they like developing bond and, and the other guy there. I forget his character's name, but they have the three guys and they all kind of change and go through um, some kind of movement. I think with Beckham, especially the little boy selling DVDs and Brenner, like trying to figure out if that was the actual kid that was caught inside with like the chest bone that was still emotionally moving the third, fourth time. I watched yeah.
0: it now. There, there was, there's a couple things about that that were like so. In, in the moment, I, that was like when, when they show like the, the, the body bomb or whatever, whatever yeah. they call it. That was horrifying. Was once again, horrifying to have that
1: realization. <laughs> once again, these aren't the guys that would clear the room. This isn't their job in the military. So, it's, yeah, it's another case of Iraq being. You have to pick up whatever the fuck you can and and do
0: other roles other than what you're assigned. Mm-hmm. So it was, it was. I'm utterly like just, just un unending thing. Like, like it, it was just ho- horrifying to have that realization, you know, of, of what that was in the moment. Uh, especially after the emotional investment you had with the two beforehand,
2: mm-hmm.
0: but it made me curious immediately. And so I had to look it up. Was that an actual thing? Was that a thing that we knew about at the time? You know, that, that, uh, any kind of insurgents did did you find any answers and look looking into it it appeared to be at the time uh i i, I did at the time the only information we had known was like a speculation that this could be a thing that yeah. could be done uh there, there wasn't any evidence of it, and any subsequent like evidence came up there's only like one ever confirmed case years after the film so when I learned that, I was I was a little more put off by the scene, and I felt uh, like it was a little emotionally manipulative. It's a terrifying um, prospect, but, yeah,
2: but there are a there lot was, of things again, like that
1: in the movie where I feel like it's emotionally manipulating, like the the very cliched cereal boxes at the end. We've seen like those images so much of someone coming home from war, and then you know looking through commercialism through their new
0: lens of. You know uh having to come back to society and fit back in Uh, it was it was still an emotionally effective scene for me uh i I wouldn't necessarily change it or or take it out um but yeah learning about that afterwards i was like okay that's it's a little bit of an uncomfortable liberty for me but i can i can handle it uh the the more confusing aspect was when we see him again later i wasn't i was like wait is he alive was that him yeah, it, so he, he was alive and ended up being a different kid, right? So, so yeah, it, the way it was, I, I kind of, like, pieced that together eventually. But, like, I wish it just gave me, like, the scene gave me just that that little bit more to confirm that that was the case. Because, like, I could have for a moment believed that he was just seeing things, that he was just, like, making up the kid's existence. Because uh, it was such a brief scene of seeing him return. I just wish there was just that tiny bit more to, like, like sell me on that, that bit that, oh, it wasn't actually the kid. I, he just thought I think it, it was the kid.
1: I think i like that uncertainty i think it plays into like the horror of it like he does he actually believe he saw that kid again like that's kind of how the scene played for me it was like he was like in disbelief that he saw the kid because he already grieved him it
0: would it would have just been a little odd if that was like the only like kind of like unreal element of the film if Mm. he was like an apparition or whatever uh yeah so i i just wish it went a little bit more one way or the other. Like it was just a little unclear because of the brevity of that scene. That's, that's like a minor critique in, in the kind of grand scheme, but it was one that still kind of threw me for a loop for that one moment. I
1: really liked when he uh, wandered off and went and explored what he thought would be Beckham's house too. And he meets the professor who's obviously on guard, but then treats him as a guest. And then suddenly his wife's coming out with like the kitchen pans and beating him over the head. And, you know still an enemy still not welcome but it just shows like how other people are living like here and uh trying to deal with this um invading force that we are you know yeah again
0: an- another kind of un- unrealistic scene where he you know like leaves the base and it's invades fun, this person's home yeah but again it's shot very well and the emotions that that charge that whole sequence are all very genuine again it's it anything that seems out of the realm of reason in the film is justified by the the emotions and the actions and the execution of it it all feels like like tangible and emotionally real like like representative of what's going on there so it lands even if it's a little uh extraordinary
1: and it's shot on 16 millimeter it feels gritty and uh it it does better with the some of its close-ups and we'll find in a couple of movies later and uh, dealing with like the cinematography of the war, like you say, it has like the green grassy and elements, but but well done actually,
2: yeah, um, yeah. well
1: employed this time.
0: So yeah. I could buy into it. Um, I feel like I'm there. The chaos is controlled uh, entirely here. And again, there's a lot of scenes where it is a lot tighter. And, it, it, and Bigelow's always used handhelds in, in every one of her movies, and uh, you know she she likes the effect of them a lot but she still maintains a control over them and a clarity of the the image. Uh, there's just a couple of times where the cinematography here kind of loses that a little bit based on, I'm I'm assuming his own, you know, kind of, kind of brand of filming things. Yeah. Uh, so like, like I said, early on it, I was like, Oh no, this is, this is a product of the two thousands. Well, there's so much dust and confusion too. It definitely looks
1: like a 2008 film, right? Like you, you can't get away from like the framing seeming like it's of that time, but, I think it's effective ultimately in, uh, no, in showing uh, the war.
0: Yeah, I think it ultimately becomes may- maybe the most timeless uh, portrait of that uh, particular period. I can't think of another war film from any of the Middle Eastern conflicts that I actively in- in- enjoy or find compelling, or e- you know, even um, you know, like works of great you know commentary on that conflict because it uh, is so much so much muddier
1: not call of duty advanced warfare
0: (laughs) not not especially modern warfare no but maybe i need to play it again to see
1: now that's some jingoistic shit and i I was happy it got away from that for the most part but then at the end you have the kabul pass which is a a song about tracking bin laden through afghanistan or maybe he's at bush's ranch which is a it's a Which doesn't sound that bad, but then it's such a rock and roll song. I'm like, yeah, that's fucking awesome. Wait, that shouldn't be that awesome. Like, he's returning to duty after going home. And uh, the whole film's really about, like, his addiction to this adrenaline rush. And it says, ultimately, at the end, that addiction's good. Or the drug's good. It said addiction's devastating, but the drug is good.
0: Yeah, it's... It's a very sour note, and I and I think I understand what Bigelow's going for there. I think so. Uh, but I, it feels I don't like it. it feels like it's supposed to be ironic. It's like this: oh, he's going back into it. We got the hero shot of him marching into you know off a of plane, you know, and then he's and then we cut to him in the bomb suit going back at it again. He's so cool. Again, it's supposed to be an ironic cool, but it just feels like a genuine. Cool, like that's what you're trying <laughs> to go cool, for. Yeah, and, and, this is like it's it's the blue steel problem again, where it's like Kathy, your tone is just off here. I like I think you're trying to go for like something else here, but you're just reinforcing that idea instead of like turning it on its head. You've you've got your wires crossed. I mean, and the, so, this and movie's... the film is otherwise like it avoids that throughout, but it is especially the music choice in concert with the framing there it 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 feels like the ending of like a you know uh a jarhead two or something where it just <laughs> like you completely misinterpreted the point of everything that came before
1: there's uh well yeah i feel like it's just it does look awesome and it does hit in a different way and i uh i don't know how i feel about it because if it's, the whole message is supposed to be about addiction and war is a drug then i think it ultimately fails its purpose in the end
0: yeah it just it it really undercuts the sentiment of the entire film prior like it just feels very out of sync with that but i see what the intent of it was it was supposed to be like this ironic framing of the the after effects of it and the embrace of that this facade that the you know characters such as like like Jeremy Randers there has to put on this this idea of you know bad- badassery or, or uh, confidence in, in what they do or or the thrill of it you know it, it, this idea that it's actually you know all, all all a mask that they have to wear in order to continue to feed the this addiction uh unfortunately it, it the doesn't films, it doesn't feel like that in execution it, it films, feels like it's trying to be that but it's not the
1: films never come and see right like it's never devastating throughout like a, it has its moments of devastation and like loss and impact but um i mean someone could still watch it and confuse its
0: message by the end i believe I would, I would I would be surprised if someone did because again it's very unglamorous I don't think any about it like really glamorizes any any of the aspects of war it doesn't make it seem appealing in any way even like the success of his diffusing or like the the general like you can the the likability the charisma of Renner's character I don't think that that's framed ever as enviable uh it, I just really think that last shot really that last sequence just really kind of bungles the intended irony that you know is wanted there you could look uh,
1: at it as this is like the music playing in his head if i want to be charitable like that's like this is how he views himself going back right. in but
0: that, yeah that's that's what i'm saying is that it's it's supposed to feel ironic but it just feels like that's the intent instead it's it's a weird <laughs> again it's, it's a weird misfire there and uh, again uh
1: Catherine Bigelow's had trouble with her irony, other than like Point Break and Near Dark, I believe. So,
0: yeah, uh, it's it's a it's a very consistent issue we've seen, and it certainly applies to the, the following films too at, at certain points,
1: especially Zero Dark Thirty. <laughs> oh boy, <laughs> talk about like missing the point of your own irony. Uh, I mean, I I like this movie in the way that, as you say, dads tend to like war <laughs> movies where where there's like a solidified chase and there is like a warlord. Like, it doesn't make any of the missteps that the Hurt Locker could have done, but it, uh, it makes a lot more on its own. And it was, uh, okay, this came out, it started filming a year after uh, UBL was uh, assassinated, right? Like, so there was still a lot of doubt and confusion. We never got to see pictures of UBL. He was dropped into the Atlantic Ocean. Um, so there's reasons why there's conspiracy theories. It's like Hitler. We never got to see pictures. So people are like, he must still be alive. And it's like, well, they barely had information. So they went with like the complete government version of events. Meanwhile, framing torture in a uh, very heightened um, uh, way that pissed off uh, Democrats, Republicans, and people in the intelligence community. Uh, So every side, I almost respect the film for uh, uh, confidently uh, realizing that's wading into controversy and then. Uh, getting that from every side. I I mean I almost respect
0: like the total blindness and lack of awareness there. Uh I don't. I have I have zero you respect don't have for this to. film. I think I think this is a a, a putrid work of, of propaganda. <laughs> it's it's very <laughs> uh wow, it's 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 shocking how much it kind of just like completely disregards everything that was very good about the Hurt Locker and just ends up reaffirming, you know, so many of the jingoist sentiments that, you know, w- went into the war there and the the hunt for Bin Laden. Uh, there, there are no critical perspectives. I, one, one of the chief things is that uh, there, there was a lot of controversy surrounding the film, very, very clearly. And again, still is very clearly. Yeah. But um, especially regarding the depictions of torture in the film which is not the only point of contention in the film there's definitely a lot of issues because the torture stops being an element like an hour and a half into it like the last mm-hmm. hour it's not really present anymore but uh, it has a load of other problems but the the torture scenes uh created a particular storm of of controversy uh upon release and the defense always from from bigelow and Bull and everyone else involved in production was that uh, the depiction of something is not an inherent endorsement of it. And that's certainly true. Uh, you know, by no means should we be barred from, you know, showing or, you know, filming or, or incorporating um, horrifying things, you know, in our film, just, you know, out of fear of it, you know, coming across as, you know, a positive uh, depiction. But the issue comes from the the neutral stance, which is reinforced by an overall positive reinforcement of that. It kind of ends justify the means, you know, over the overarching idea of the picture. If the end of it, if the idea, the overarching, you know, point of the film is that the hunt for Osama bin Laden was just, then being neutral on the methodology that was utilized to get there implies that it was all Right. It was all worthwhile, it and all of all, it was just—it uh, was—it you know, was all in service of that, you know, right end, which is again a a, a horrifying and, and kind of like veiled, you know, affirmation of all of that. It's essentially saying if if you're neutral on something that has happened, then you are approving of the status quo, you know, so, so to speak. There, you're you're saying that nothing needs to be addressed here. And that is always an issue when it comes to such a controversial topic as torture as a as a method of interrogation or torture just of prisoners in general. Like that's the big thing I'm going to say here as well is that I I don't give a shit about weighing in on whether it was whether torture is an effective tool for extracting information or not. I don't need to cite any of the evidence that indicates that it never has been, and it has always been unreliable, and you know, uh, as a tool. Uh, the practice itself is just so inhumane and, you know, uh, v- volatile and, and, you know, unjust in, in in the concept alone that any any kind of information or anything you could get from it would never be justified. Even if you could get, you know, proper information on anything it's, there, it would never be, you know, right.
1: It's not a tool that we as Americans ever really used, like until the modern wars. So it was something where we almost co-signed it by publicly not, not really saying anything about torture, but then the film heightens it and blows it up. So, of course, right. it pisses off the intelligence community. He's like, yeah, we torture people, but not like that. And then then the conservatives are mad because they're like, okay, this is right before the re-election of Barack Obama. And they're like, okay, so you're just using this film as a piece of propaganda. And then the Democrats are mad because it's a warmongering film. Like, uh, this this film rightly pissed off everyone. And yeah. uh,
0: I, I do want to say, by the way... Hot. I do want to say, I don't necessarily, uh, you know, w- want to agree with the statement that this, you know, that torture only became uh, a tool of uh, the, the American government in the modern age. I just don't know that it was recorded as much. Well, it wasn't prior, something we were publicly you know. presented uh, with. I'm to certain that I think on, right? torture as a means of ec- Yeah, yeah. But it was never something that was in the spotlight. I think torture as a means of extracting information has existed long before the Country's foundation, I think, it has been a, a truth of you know human, um you know human conflict uh, for its entirety. Uh, I, I'm certain of that. But per, it, it became an especially contentious and relevant topic for the United States during the the uh, Iraq War, during the uh, hunt for Osama bin Laden, especially. And uh, obviously, this film utilizes it as a centerpiece. It's like it's the opening damn scene of the movie, mm-hmm. and and that scene painted a. a Horrible taste in my mouth. That, like, I, I, I paused it immediately after that opening scene, and and I had several thoughts. And my first thought was, I would stop watching this movie right now if I weren't doing this for for a project. I would, I was so off put. You were it. already out by the opening. Uh well, because it just seemed to be like all of the actions of that opening seemed to be a mission statement for the film going forward. Mm-hmm. Um, which. In, in a way was was very well oh, it was a very well made mission statement because i understood all of the implicit ideas it was putting forth through it so it was it was well directed but it, it had a a malice at the at the heart of it that was just utterly inexcusable
1: and conveying <laughs> and- something might not be
0: signing off on it but when you
1: have characters like Jessica Chastain is like a, a composite of six women and she stands there idly while people are torturing and
0: no, no even not, partakes not yeah I was gonna say not idly that with the, was a, with the water yeah yep. she, again that that was a that was a key part of it for me I was like so again because and that that was the the most evil part of it I felt is that you have her there as a kind of surrogate perspective character to supposedly condemn this to look upon the actions with disgust so to to be a force of apparent criticism there but she's not at all it's 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 very you know uh it's carefully coded to like like criticism but actually be active endorsement because she's she's not only there not taking action against it not speaking out but actively taking part in assisting in in that malicious action but then still reserving the privilege of being being judgmental and, and critical of it to to herself in that the, the there's a kind of smunkness to it that was just absolutely revolting to me. And and, and again really dictated how the, the film was totally going to appear about the entirety of the conflict going forward.
1: I think that's fair. I think it's fair to look at the movie as like an evil, malevolent like thing about torture. There's probably some point that it's worth commenting on and bring that into the film but more critically than it ever does there, there's
0: um, there's a lot more than just torture obviously the film doesn't have a single critical you know perspective in it the entire time there's never and again that's why i think the, any arguments about neutrality or like objective portrayal is just utterly bullshit uh, because the the only perspective is pro and hesitant towards anything in the film when they talk about well you know like like at one point she talks about wanting to just bomb the compound where they assume mm-hmm. that bin laden is at, and uh you know the the only you know resistance to that is just like a a lack of certainty you know that the, that's why a- anyone is reluctant to this and never is any of that framed as something that should be critical or considered upon the the film itself is not critical of any of the characters lack of criticism therein, the lack of perspective by anyone provided. That's the issue with objective portrayal here, is that if you don't have any, you know, balancing voices here, it's it's a very one sided representation of the entirety of this (laughs) this war here. Which is this
1: hunt absurd because you look at what the film was meant to be before, which is Mark Bowles writing a film about a decade of failed attempts <laughs> to get to Osama bin Laden. So it would have been a highly critical film about our continued failures to use these torture devices to capture the guy who ran Al-Qaeda. I mean, that was the whole premise of the film was that this whole film was supposed to be a hypercritical takedown of 10 years wasted on the war. But then we got the guy, and he was like, okay, I have to rewrite my script now. He went and did a uh, page one rewrites and we got a film that entirely goes in one direction, which we all know, uh, to take down bin Laden. Uh, yeah. I do like the chase of it. Unfortunately, I like the fugitive chase that was kind of present in movies of that time. I like, um, uh, supporting cast here. We have, uh, my best boy, uh, Jeremy strong from succession who everyone's uh, celebrating now, uh, great piece in Vogue where he <laughs> talked about being such an asshole and, uh, doing method acting against the will of everyone cast alongside him uh jeremy strong great notes in, in um, succession or in this in succession and everything okay. he's ever done <sighs> okay yeah. okay oh, oh oh in this uh, In everything. This yeah
0: okay
1: okay uh jeremy strong we have james Gandolfini, of course the uh all-time Tony great soprano himself yeah and we have kyle chandler friday night lights the the boss coach um yeah full heart clear eyes can't lose um that's uh, that's how I feel about this. I like Chastain too, even as a composite and even I, as I, a torturer. I, I I appreciate how little character she has because the job leaves no room to build that character. Like like she tries to build it a few times, like I, at the hotel, and it's obvious. Like the height of the work is just too much to actually feel anything
0: and have a life. I I really don't like Jessica Chastain in this, but right. also uh, well, like
1: why her specifically besides being a torturer?
0: Well, for one thing, I think she has no character, as you said, she as, as a composite become she becomes empty, she becomes a very empty vessel for it. And she has nothing for the film other than this hunt. And she becomes a more kind of like ardently focused and solely about this, this hunt. And again, like this kind of, uh you know, cruel pursuit uh in, in it at the same time there uh that's that's a uh, pretty grossly but also just very uninteresting as a character and i think her portrayal is also uh especially uh uninspired uh i, I don't oh.
1: yeah I, <laughs> I think she's so tough but i think again that they're co-signing it um they're well, co-signing her rigidity and badassery yeah. by saying like oh look all the women were in the intelligence side and this that is a way to tell a woman's story but that's, I mean, the that's thing, a good that, idea
0: but the, the woman thing is something that Bothers me. I think the film okay. wep- weaponizes that. I think it's specifically it using this, and particularly uh, with like the only the one other woman of the film, and how she's used as as a you know element of propulsion for Jessica Chastain's character as well, for you know fueling her her rage and her vengeance in this. That's that's also there, and and I think there's also, may I it might be reading a bit more into it, but I think the particular casting of of Chastain, uh, you know uh as a white woman in the film as well i think reads a uh again another element of projecting the the the, these kind of aspects of like like of of purity onto her as Mm. as this kind of vessel for it it's uh i know that bigelow called
1: her on the phone herself like she had to have chastain like that
0: wasn't even a casting decision so yeah and and that last point i don't think that that's necessarily an intentional aspect in the right. casting i don't think that they went out looking for that looking to frame her character as this kind of like 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 virginal or or angelic representation of like the country's innocence being corrupted or something like that i do not think that was intentional but it reads like that to the in the film very that's strongly uh, and it it just goes to reinforce all of these gross points of uh, you know <laughs> how the the film tries to excuse the actions of the United States through her character very explicitly there, and it all just feeds into this this wider narrative of the the ends justify the means, and again this idea that. Yes, torture is is awful. And, you know, the, the dehumanizing of the, you know, the Iraqi people or the, the Pakistanis when we were there, everyone in the Middle East, the, the Muslim population overall is it was awful, but it was, it was necessary. We needed to do this to get the man who, you know, yeah you know murdered the people on us who who scarred us on 9 11. Mm-hmm. i it's... think we
1: both hate the torture i love the manhunt chase part of it and board say... rooms in the back rooms and you don't None like of... that part but
0: it, it didn't interest me as much but i'll say this as a as a, as a single point of praise of the film so one, one one element of positivity i could lend to this is that the final uh the raid. Know, yeah. The raid on the compound is fantastic. Yeah. It's, it's incredibly well shot. It's very tense. And it's also the only time that any of the, you know, the middle Eastern characters, any of the Muslim characters of the mm-hmm. film seem to be portrayed with any sympathy Humanity and sympathy. It's, yeah. it's genuinely horrifying for them. And it, and it feels like for once the film was like, Oh, Oh, maybe America, not so good. You yeah, uh, Maybe this was a kind of horror thing because personally, on a more personal political note, I have never felt okay with the uh, uh, abrupt invasion of of Pakistan for that raid to kill, you know, uh, Osama bin Laden without the awareness of the country. Despite,
2: mm-hmm.
0: you know, the, the them harboring uh, a, a known terrorist like that, I think there's a, a, a global immorality to to you know America, you know, just like you know throwing its weight around and, and showing up into a, another country like that and you know, pursuing extrajudicial justice and basically just saying, what are you going to do about it, Pakistan? What yeah. are you going to do? Uh, I, I think that's, you know, h- horrible. <laughs> the whole
1: movie is like asking this question, like, are you going to be the person who do- doesn't call the shot? Like when you're presented with this information and you find out where he is and you have the whole hunt and people have put hours of their life every day into finding him. And then are you going to be the person who says no, or are you going to call the shot? Right? Like that's the whole premise of the movie. And then, Then the raid's so good because there's like a crashed helicopter. They have like these high-tech, you know, really neat helicopters that are uh, uh, radar-defying, and they're uh, they have the crash helicopter. And then like the whole landscape of it is interesting. Like it's a a different context for war. I like how they're like calling around the corner too. He's like Usama. You know, that's that's neat. I like that he's a. I like how they infiltrate and they have almost no time to like take the files out. Um, There's also the thing with osama's children too like there's he has like 10 children there and it's like uh so we're just leaving them there huh like uh, we're just leaving this terrorist children there to maybe form grudges after we kill his dad in front of them
0: i think i think there's there's genuinely like an opportunity within the film to to have a nuanced perspective of the the country's actions in in going and you know uh, uh searching out to eliminate Osama bin Laden and and questioning a bit of the the actions there and the process but again the prevailing sense by the end is that this was the right call all the way through and you get you get very flick you know like like fleeting senses of criticism when you see the the more brutal process of the the raid on the compound you know of the the killing of the the several other individuals there, and you know the terror of the, the the children and the the women there when they're being you know kind of corralled into certain areas of the house where they try and you know weed out where uh, Osama is, and and those are like those are like like hints of a of a film that has you know nuance and perspective that this could have it just doesn't. For for it's entirely leading up to there and and then even thereafter, when and when the final shot where where Chastain kind of like breaks down upon being ready to go home, I, I've seen a lot of people really praise that moment, but to me it felt like the film giving permission to the country to mourn. Now it's like our mission is over, you know, yeah. our our revenge has been had now 9 like 11 can be mourned now now we can mourn those people
1: that's definitely the conservative talking point is this is all propaganda to get
0: obama reelected? right like i mean i don't know way... i don't think it was i i don't think it was explicitly for that purpose either i don't think there was like a you know it, it was intended with that idea like oh yeah we're we're 100 percent behind like it i don't think it was intentionally a political move to make this movie i think i think bigelow (laughs) would be sad if it weren't i guess yeah Yeah. i I think bigelow had like real intentions in telling a a compelling story here and i even think she did have like like reservations about this and in the perspective but i think again she struggles with that tone she struggles with the portrayal of something you know and and not reinforcing it through the tone of her direction
1: well i think the i think the smartest thing it does at the end is not show us uh bin laden too close like because we never got pictures it wouldn't be believable for us to have like a right it's better to she's at least good at showing reactions of uh of tragedy in front of the camera like She doesn't have to exactly frame it. We'll get into it in the next movie. But uh, just showing the reactions of the people in the compound and not like framing like actual bin Laden as like a major player. A much worse movie would spend a lot of time with him and and show him on the camera. But she has the confidence not to do that.
0: Sure. Even though she does do, you know, show more than even the, you know, the the government did the United States did after the assassination. Uh, which I, I should say as well, especially since you compared to the same thing with Hitler before, is that that's the right thing to do. That's the good thing because you don't want to make martyrs. Yeah, exactly. You don't want to you
1: don't want to show so much that someone... That's why they uh, threw him into the sea. Also, like that very critical choice was we can't have people build a shrine to wherever we bury him in Pakistan. So yep. Atlantic Sea, nobody could build a shrine.
0: Yeah, so again, it, it really erases that opportunity because again, I think you can... You can take the flip side of that and say you know oh that's what you know uh you know because you can see the kind of feeling and the and the anger and the action that manifests when you create mm. martyrs because that's what 9 11 was 9 yeah. 11 was maybe the largest scale you know example of you know creating uh, you know, an aggregating force creating murders and and i think you see that throughout this film again that's fuels the entirety of us. there's there's a, a sense of vengeance that fuels the entire film that's up from the opening minute when they when they play literal 911 calls yeah. over the 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 opening black screen of the film which again is, is another thing where it's like there's a moral question to whether you should use this or not there's a lot of use of of real footage like contemporary news footage as well throughout and all of this i'm like this is incredibly emotionally manipulative you should you should not be using this stuff especially since a number of those 9-11 calls were unauthorized they were they were not used with permission i think that's the
1: most fucked up thing Uh, aside from the torture i think that's the thing i'm most against about the movie i know i'm siding on like i think it's good because i think it's just a notch above fine but i think some of that shit's really offensive Uh,
0: again yeah it's it's well made but when something is well made in surface of a a an absolutely repugnant you know uh intent uh that's that's where it's just absolutely like irredeemable to me like i can't even you know I, i have a very hard time even saying yes there are this is a well-made movie. Bigelow has has good direction in this scene and this scene. Like that's yeah, hard lots for of me good to direction and be, well put be, together. Because but you I'm not can't just to... dissect, you can't just detach that from what it's informing. Then through the direction, because again, it's the direction is what informs the tone and right. the message of all of this. Well, I'm not going to become a
1: martyr for this or build it a shrine. <laughs> so uh, I'm happy to move along to
0: another yeah. one that I I do think therefore I do think it's valuable though that me and you have. Very different, different perspectives yeah. on it. But once we can both see we're not at, at each other's throats about this, even though this is one of the most irresponsible films I've ever seen.
1: There's so much I dislike about it that I basically level out at a six, like it's a blue steel thing where, yeah, it's a fascist <laughs> movie,
0: but I like it. <laughs> and that's that's the issue as well, is that when we every every episode here uh, there's two subsequent episodes i found films i hated more than blue steel and was so confident that first time around that i was like wow this is some repugnant ass shit i'm <laughs> glad it's only up from here i was surprised i even liked
1: zero dark 30 i thought this would be the one i'd bounce off most so um very uh, very surprised i found anything i found chastain just so good and i i know you didn't find that at all but i found her so well directed and uh, such a good composite of multiple people, despite the torturing. And I like my uh, TV guys. I yeah, give my guy I, Jeremy look, Strong some more movies.
0: I'm, I'm let's just say, like I, I, I'm not necessarily. I don't necessarily ag- agree that the idea that just because there's a you know, plethora of people that are enjoyable that I'm like, Oh, you know, that's good. You know, that, that doesn't inherently improve a film, but I am also, I, I do fall victim to that too, of like, you know, especially with like Hollywood films. Yeah. Like you just notice character actors you like and I'm like, Oh man, I'm, I'm here. Sign me up for this. Edward Everett Horton. Yes. Another one of those, please. Great. <laughs> right. Like, yeah, you watch, like, 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 30
1: dancing movies just because two people are in them, not
0: because it's Exactly, 100%, 100%. So, I understand the sentiment entirely, where you get that little little buzz just because there's a, a couple of people that you, you know, really like from lots of other things, and they're here yeah. doing their thing, you know? Uh, they don't even necessarily have to be, like, exemplary, <laughs> as long as they're just, like, they're them, and they're here. That's sometimes and, enough. I get look, that. Look, and I'm a, I'm agreeing, it's a contemptible movie that I happen to like. I'm,
1: I'm not agreeing that yeah. it's a, a worthwhile movie that uh, politically matters or says anything. I just think it's a very interesting manhunt that I think is very well directed and made. That I also don't like politically at all. But I think, I think that's but a then?
0: that's a that's a fair perspective to have, and and obviously one that I I don't sign off on myself. I think it's but, a dad yeah. thing. I think you inherently just go there. <laughs> I'm glad I'm glad you at least agreed with that when I made that observation to you that it was like yeah. this this feels like it's informed by some real dad cinema vibes, real dadism happening here whatever the fuck that means but yeah i think that that it definitely falls into that category when you think about when you try and think about what that means <laughs> um there's a less
1: not quite a dad movie detroit that what a transition
2: uh,
0: Well, yeah um this is an interesting again an, another collaboration with mark Bowl, and it feels still very much in the same vein of the two war films here but it's more it's a is a uh, in, internal war for the country here you know the, the war yeah. against the, the race against civil rights we um, go from like
1: the militarization of the military to the militarization of the police in late 60s detroit it's crazy
0: yeah and and it's and it's directed with that same kind of fervor and same sense of like like chaos and uh, uh upheaval uh but upon our own you know, citizens and, and particularly as a, as a racial perspective. And again, it's, it's a crazy to see the difference in, in politics between Bigelow's films. Again, going from blue steel, some of the most pro cop bullshit I've ever seen <laughs> to, to this, to uh, well, we'll, we'll make a pit stop on strange days. Cause strange yeah. days kind of like informs we're like, Oh, okay. All right we see where you're at here a little bit more aware of the scenario going around and then right we now. have a
1: point break which we can't make heads or tails of just irony total yeah. irony
0: about the police and... it, it it feels very detached from the whole like, like yeah. police for it, it it's like a pulpy action thriller you know like it's it it feels very apolitical almost yeah.
1: <laughs> again if you don't have a message maybe make more apolitical movies but i think she's really tied into wanting to do current affairs stuff. So. Her finding that like after Ferguson stuff that there was some resounding social messaging that she could be looking at and uh, tapping into for Detroit, I think she wanted to portray something like that.
0: And and unlike in cases with like Zero Dark Thirty or, or other cases where she's tried to tackle even Strange Days, which kind of yeah. bungles, it bungles the the commentary uh, by the end. Uh, it, there's never any question which side of the issue uh, She's on Detroit oh thank god yeah but let, let, let me let me take that back actually because the beginning is very muddled
1: <laughs> take away the first hour I think this might actually be a good film I had this uh, at a I had this at a three out of ten before we watched it just total boredom in the theater I felt nothing about this movie and then we watched it together I think half the movie is actually good
0: yeah I'm not surprised that you were totally bored because so was I for the first hour because it's so yeah. all over the place and it's like from minute one, it's very mishandled because it's just like, it's a huge dump of exp- exposition. Like, here's a bunch of context about what's, what happened in the 1960s, you know, in case you don't know. Like, uh, uh, immediately I'm like, I'm feeling a little condescended to. Like, mm-hmm. uh, you don't trust that I'm going to understand what the scenario is, what the racial politics are at the time. It is, and it's just, it's a huge dump of information that is not tactfully handled so that then the following sequences where there is a lot of outrage and there's portrayal of rioting uh you know uh going on from the the blank population of detroit against police the framing of it feels again malicious it feels against the people there it feels like it's missing the context of the of their outrage Mm -hmm. why are they you know reacting violently like this why are they destroying you know the, the the buildings around them and such it and the film because it you know really drops the ball on with its opening text it feels like the answer to that it's saying is it's senseless there is no reason and so at first the the film feels very you know uh you know tonally and message wise un you know uh, uninvolved with its you know it, it the characters and the depicting there and but, it's
1: so good at presenting the reason, but it doesn't get there to the middle of the picture, yeah, it's, which again, it, it needs to do first.
0: It messes that up. It 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 squanders the, the good grace you walk into a movie with immediately. Mm-hmm. And it takes a long time to get it back. But it does. And that's the important thing. And and for me especially, I, I am the kind of person who, if 15 minutes or so into a movie, I'm not like into it, if I'm not taken by things. I am checking out faster and faster as it goes. I'm not.
1: I'm not that way at all, and I still feel like just totally
0: blindsided by the first hour of this movie. Mm-hmm. But but so you can imagine then. So for someone who 15 minutes in, I'm like, I'm you know questioning the you know how much I want to keep investing in this if I'm not hooked, and mm-hmm. it takes an hour to get to the, the point where it actually gets good. That point after the hour better be damn good to actually bring me back in, and it does. It, it absolutely does, the, because it's it stops, like the film calms down and it finds something to center on, like an actual, you know, event right? event to follow. Because before then, it's really erratic. It's hopping all around, all over the place. There's like 20 different characters that pop up yeah. at some point, and we never stick around with any of them long enough to even just like appreciate what, what they are or understand what's going on with them. And it's just, you know, it's, it's like that for an hour. An hour is a long time for a movie. It's a long
1: movie. Yeah. It's like two hours, 23 minutes, and the whole first hour is just nothing.
0: Yeah. You can literally just like, you can almost clip it out. You can't start the movie at like the hour in point because there is some context that's. But you can make establish it maybe, characters. I think you can make that
1: first hour 20 minutes and have a really clean movie.
0: Yeah, yeah, for sure. Again, like just better set up the the, the, the chaos, the, the bedlam mm-hmm. of Detroit in, in the nineteen sixties, the dynamic between the police and the black population and, and what's make going sure, on there.
1: Make sure to frame it that it's the police as the aggressor because the movie really starts like, Oh shit, like
0: these rioters are really causing a problem. Oh, well, again, it, it, it because it chooses not to use the visual language of the medium mm-hmm. to contextualize the outrage, but it does that with the reaction, you know, like like the you know, it, it does that with the actual manifestation of that anger, that plays more powerfully than the context does, because the context is just words on a screen and that doesn't um, emotionally do the same amount of legwork that you know the visual portrayal needs to as well by the the
1: middle though we're getting to like the police is an invading terrorist force and they're like uh it it becomes like a horror movie for uh social politics in detroit yeah
0: it really does and this is perhaps where uh bigelow's sense for for dynamic intense directing is the the greatest in terms of like really making it seem like like horrifying and terror terrifying situation and you feel really in the the oh, scenario yeah. there with the characters um you know there's, there's some really great performances and anthony mackie's back here and he really you know, good. is really emotionally conveyed here but you have the, the the vitriol and the uh the the abuse of uh the the, the main police officer right is that it's just the actor's name. Uh, I'm going to look him up here just because he deserves mention for, for the... We
1: have John Boyega in the movie.
0: Yeah, yeah, here he is. Uh, Will Poulter. Will, Will Poulter, Poulter is his yeah. name. As the main main police officer who is terrorizing the these guys. And you get the sense of the, the, the nuance and the, the whys behind the this particular attack because you have the involvement of the, the white girls who are in this hotel room with the 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 several black men and that is very obviously very explicitly the triggering point for why they have you know cornered in on this particular hotel room and have decided this is the place where apparently gunshots came from and we're going to terrorize these men these people for their you know the the supposed actions they're taking again this this concept of of uh, you know the ra- racial like like taint that that they perceive by them interacting with with the black men there it's it's mm. a vengeance upon them for this uh you know this like violation of a, a, a perceived purity that their white supremacy propels.
1: Yeah, it's a very good investigation of that too. Um, it's very good at finding the sides there and exploring each of them. And uh, meanwhile, I think that also allows it the best of her like reaction shots like big low leaning into one of the things she does well which is allowing action and reaction to uh cause a different feeling and effect in her scenes
0: mm-hmm. yeah again it's just it's emotionally intense throughout the action is always in, in service of that uh and the sound design is something that stands out especially uh which is something i don't think i've mentioned previously in, in any of these other films uh sound design is often an underrated element of, of the filmmaking process. Like the
1: gunfire there is pretty loud. Uh, yeah. Amplified. It's,
0: it's very, very like like earth shaking. Anytime it, it happens, it goes off. And whenever there is a death, it is, is felt immensely. Uh, and, and everything about the a- action and how it's displayed is just uh, utterly horrific and, 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 and terrifying and tense. And it's, and, and again after that hour point it seems like the film is going to become one of the the great the great examples of a filmography and for that like it blows it after yeah yeah it just and then, and then after it leaves the hotel room again after because because it's a very lengthy sequence like again the, the film hops around for like the first hour and then for another hour it's just there in this one location like for, like like when we were watching together i was like you know, like, like 10 minutes in, I was like, oh, wait, wait, maybe this film's getting good. This It stayed with this scene. This scene yeah. is good. I said this scene is good. And it ends up being about half the movie itself. Yeah. But, yeah, again, that last, like, 30 minutes where you're doing the wrap-up with the the court case Sometimes, By the later. way, this
1: this is, you always say, oh, Calvin, you don't like the court scenes. This is when I don't like court scenes. This is when movies completely deflate and do, like, the... Uh, compulsory okay everyone goes to court we have to settle our problems we have to finish our exposition let's get a court case figure out where everything went and make a moral judgment through the court of law hate it give me a court movie i could i could sit with that um a forced court scene though not my business yeah
0: (laughs) (laughs) yeah no i understand completely especially when it's a a case like this where it's just it's so turgid and formal it just feels like it's it's going through the motions there's like it's like two kind of court scenes there's like the mm-hmm. very like like kind of dull like you yourself are sitting through like court or whatever on on very mundane jury duty and that feels like how it's playing out and then there's also like the over the top overly dramatized court the 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 al pacino court scene we'll say yeah it's in the kind of same point where if, or if neither. court's not
1: going to play out like phoenix right i don't want to be there i want a lot of <laughs> objection and you know i want I want, like, my anime Takashi Mike Phoenix Wright movie. Otherwise, you know.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah, this is um, on the turgid end of things. It's a very kind of dull, mundane. And it's also, again, it's a it's a foregone conclusion. Like, by the end, you're like, the cops got away with it? Oh, it's a shock. And I was like, you could have just, why don't you just throw that into a large text dump and give it to me? Like, that yeah. would have been fine, and I would have got the sentiment. Yeah, exactly. I know they got away with it. <laughs>
1: It's a very biopicy appro- approach to court yeah, that, that really
0: very, rubs me the wrong way. That's a very good way of putting it. Like this, this is probably the closest Bigelow ever gets to like a conventional biopic mm. format, uh, and 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 it feels like it has those those failings, like at the end especially. And again just very lost in the beginning i think it's more so it's a script issue above Mm. all here mark bull wrote a very bloated script trying to capture a larger sense of detroit in in the 1960s uh but was also wanting to use this one specific incident to kind of like encapsulate the entirety of that and he just should have done that should have just focused on that cut the fat because there's like just it's way too much there's no need for the film to be this long
1: I think at some point I said Mark Mark Bull was so busy doing his journalism they forgot to write a story here but uh that's kind of how I feel about the whole thing
0: yeah how do you how do you feel about him then as a writer between these three because this is the most Bigelow has any uh, collaboration collaboration I, sh- I should say as well like because she she usually collaborates with writers a few times and Detroit is also the only time where she's collaborated with an additional cinematographer. Mm-hmm. This is the same cinematographer as the Hurt Locker. Otherwise, it's been new people every project. But writers, she's somewhat consistent with. And this is the largest collection. is three with Mark Bull here, the last I think, three.
1: I think in the third, we're finding... The second and the third, I think it's time we go away and find another writer. I
0: think that uh, <laughs> she needs another pairing. Yeah. Um, I, I think that would certainly be welcome. Um, it does feel like... Hurt Locker was something very special. It was also like his second screenplay, I think, which is very surprising
2: mm-hmm. for
0: how kind of like 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 astute it is. Um, oh yeah, and and it really has the hardest. I mean, it feels very very genuine and very mould over. Uh, again, Z- zero dark thirty. You know, regardless of your opinions on it, I think suffers drastically because of the the necessary rewrite that they went over there. Yeah, Just I think it's problematic. Just from like a structural standpoint, like if I divorce myself entirely from everything I said about twenty minutes ago, um, it was like like just like the time, like like the communication of time about it. It's, it takes four or ten years, and you never get that sense of like a decades worth. I feel like, and, and time just kind of happens. Like there's time skips, and they don't they don't feel like like genuinely written in as well. So that that's just like one element of it that feels like you know, uh. uh like a sacrifice oh. from the script having speaking of
1: again. speaking of time i need to take a break and then should we come back with the rankings
0: yeah yeah we can come back with a after a break all right we're back all right let me uh pull up my list here see uh where we're at you want to run down what our our current ranking is
1: yeah uh so far we've ranked first place point break second near dark Third, Strange Days. Fourth, The Loveless. Fifth, K-19. And sixth, Blue Steel, then Way to Water, and last place there.
0: Okay, so first film up is Hurt Locker.
1: Hmm. Which might be the easiest to place among think... these
0: three. Maybe so. I don't know. I think these are all going to be a little more discussion. There's not a very clear one I think between us anyway. Mm-hmm. Um as there have been in the past. But let's just start off the bat here. Let's just start. Is this better than point break?
1: No. No. I think it has to be within the near dark strange days territory.
0: Yeah, no. I'm I, I'm in agreement there. Point break is incredibly special. It's mm-hmm. it's go go ahead, I didn't hear that.
1: Yeah, I agree. I think Point Break is the bar, the high bar for what we're doing here. And between us, the most beloved film.
0: Yeah, uh, I I think it's the most imminently watchable of her films. I think it's it's cinematically interesting as well, the way it's it's shot, the way it displays a camaraderie between the, the, the characters there. And again, it has all of the elements of a great Catherine Bigelow film kind of in this one really neat dynamic piece of of pulp action cinema and and it's a staple of its genre it's a staple of its decade uh, and a staple of all of its actors uh you know careers and point so, breaks yeah, it's, it's one of the
1: coolest most watchable movies of the 90s so.
0: uh or of ever i would say if ever <laughs> yeah i mean it's
1: just it's so much fun that i we're not going to upset anyone by placing this below yeah.
0: Uh, I, I think there's an argument to be made if someone wanted to say the Hurt Locker is her best film. Um, it,
1: I could see most Catherine Bigelow film as we understand her now after her last three. Uh, potentially, I could see that it's the most modern Bigelow yeah, it's, film.
0: It's, I think it's her greatest success in terms of like the typical like you know what you consider like 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 dramatic works for sure. Dr- dramatically, it's definitely uh, uh, it, it it soars in what it aims to achieve, but. I don't think that makes it inherently better just because it's better Academy bait than point break is. I don't think that makes it better.
1: Then we're getting to the uh, two other films, which might be more of a debate because nobody saw them, which is near dark and strange days Uh, compared to this one, which made history uh, among women in film. I think it's uh, I think there is an argument for placing it around either of them. I think it is above the love list. I think we could start above there easily.
0: Certain certainly. Uh but yeah, I think uh so yeah, the the, the Loveless is the, the the marker I think of of quality still mm-hmm. of films probably you and I would actively recommend or say right. there's merit merit in. Uh but Strange Days I think is where the bar of like like genuine quality and active recommendation starts. Like like the Loveless is very it's 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 a it's a curio. Um
1: it's a debut film, a strong debut film with a debuting uh, Willem Dafoe so there's, yeah. there's things to like
0: but, yeah. uh, but Strange Days in Near Darker where like the, the genuinely recommendable genuine quality Catherine Bigelow films begin for, for us and The Hurt Locker is definitely amongst those that's within its, its peers there the question is is it better than either of those I
1: like Near Dark so much and I've watched it twice in the last several months and I mean, I appreciate it and I like its place in nineties genre filmmaking eighties genre filmmaking as well. So I think there's I think there's good precedent for near dark to be at the top of our list. I think it's what we really wanted to discuss when we created this podcast. The hurt locker was just something I was excited to get to because of its history, but near dark for its mere quality, I think we wanted to make this show for it, really.
0: Uh, I'll I'll say this on this. Uh, it it sounds like you're you're debating between Near Dark and Hurt Locker though. So are you saying the Hurt Locker is better than Strange Days? I or haven't you just... quite got there yet. Okay, I... okay. So we're just starting. We're just starting with Near Dark. Yeah, we're yeah. working our way down. Okay, okay. That's fine. Um, Near Dark is a film I like more than okay. the Hurt Locker for sure. But that's because of what its inherent appeals are. I think it's more entertaining. Just just generally, like I would throw on Near Dark. Twenty more times, probably before I would watch The Hurt Locker again, uh, and that's more so by nature of what the films are, you know, and what their appeals are to me specifically as an individual, uh, but also what their intent of entertainment factor is than the quality of the films themselves. I think qualitatively, The Hurt Locker is better. I think it's a. I think it's a better film. I think it has a better like its its aim and its achievement of its aim is a greater success than near dark is even despite all of the very wonderful and unique qualities of near dark um near dark is a film i want to put above the hurt locker but i don't think personally i can you I, wouldn't I, no i mean per- personally i think i again i like it better uh which is why you could sell me on a higher placement of okay. it. but i th- I think personally I think the Hurt Locker is a is a is a greater success is you know more emotionally resonant for for sure, I think uh, visually I think the the directing of Bigelow is again like like arguably more, you know, uh, more phenomenal here more significant more noteworthy more pointed. Uh, than in near dark uh near dark has a lot of uh, inherent like like thrills appeal like like genre appeals especially uh performances that are very wonderful out but it's also not you know like it not without its own faults either I think it really has that that it, it bungles in the, in the last act there it really falters with the whole blood transfusion thing that just like throws like any well, question like it, it just really messes with the chemistry of all that. Both of them have rough endings that kind of yeah. undersell like the whole context of the, their film. The the ending of Near Dark is a, I think it's a bit more like like it confuses me a bit more. Yeah. I can I can write off the ending of The Hurt Locker a bit easier because can I understand it. Away. Yeah. I can I can see the intent of that one and it just it's a bad execution. It's also like the last 2 minutes versus the last act.
1: I think I'm with you though that I'd prefer, uh, as the kids say, a vibe movie. Uh, I think Near Dark is so I, much more vibes. I this might be the last time I see Hurt Locker ever. The, I mean, right?
0: This is there's something that should be said as well here. Uh, we we completely did a disservice to Near Dark in the first episode by omitting mention of the Tangerine Dream soundtrack to the incredible. film. Incredible, yeah. I. I can't believe we overlooked that. That was that it's was a big a mistake. Such an important part of what uh, Near Dark does.
1: So I think on just the Tangerine Dream level, I think I could. I mean, between all the genre attraction and wanting to go back to Near Dark, despite having seen it twice in the last couple of months and
0: possibly would, never wanting to it, see yeah. Hurt Locker again, I'll say I'll say again, I would watch Hurt Locker right now. Uh, no what? shit. No. Okay. Dub this over. <laughs> i would watch near dark again right now i would watch near dark right the second again despite having just seen it having mm-hmm. just also watched it in the end of last year as well it's a, it's an imminently watchable film i mean say sure.
1: either are playing in the theater i'd i'd fucking run to go see it near dark i'd drive down to portland there and go see it in a theater if i could you know oh, if, uh, they sh-
0: if they show it again because that experience seeing it especially now, now and i don't i don't remember I'll, I'll, but I, I guess i should tell here again and, and there is also a personal element of near dark that could see me again like th- this is, will be a very easy convincing because near dark has a very special theatrical memory for me now too because when we were watching it for the first time having that seen the film we're very taken in already it's very dynamic in the opening we're listening to that tangerine dream soundtrack and um you know we're, we're watching and it comes to like the first you know real change it is an actual real change because i'm watching mm-hmm. it on the 35 millimeter print and I, I haven't been to a movie theater in more than a year. I haven't seen an actual film film in more than a year. And, and so I'm, I'm looking in the corner and I see the first marker for the real change. So I'm like, oh, yeah, it's, it's a real change. I'm excited. I'm going to watch it happen. And then just just like a it's a hard cut to Groucho Marx. It's <laughs> just the movie just entirely. And it's like in the middle of like a chase scene, like early on in the film. Yeah. And, it, and everyone's very confused at first. It's just like. What's, what's going on? Because at first it seemed like it might have been part of the movie, but it became very evident quickly that they fucked up the reels. <laughs> they, they cut the wrong you know reels from the wrong movies. I think
1: that already improves it. So definitely, I think we've done our work to decide it's above Strange Days for sure. I think we both like Near Dark and uh, The Hurt Locker a little bit more. I think we you, did.
0: You think Hurt Locker will go above near, uh, Strange Days then as I well? think it
1: has to. I think the conversations
0: really is it above or below. Yeah, I think that's the Near case. Dark. I think I think the personal affection that we both have for Near Dark is gonna help edge it out over Hurt Locker just that bit. Even if I I I, I do think it is a better film, but you're right. I would I would watch Near Dark always <laughs> over. I mean, Hurt Locker. I I wish that
1: Near Dark were the kind of film that the Oscars could have awarded and given it like the historical place. I'd rather award movies like Near Dark than the Hurt Locker myself. Um, I, it, i'd rather give awards
0: known. for genre movies but i i will say like the saturn awards which are a, a genre award you know mm-hmm. for for sci-fi and horror, uh horror and such they did award catherine bigelow first in 1995 for See? best best director with strange days so oh okay so there's there's an example where genre is ahead of the curve from the academy
1: yeah i mean i think i think genres are always a few steps ahead anyway and uh maybe i'm more of a genre person than a war movie person but um mm-hmm.
0: and and it and should be said that again like strange days also a bit more likable i think yeah. inherently than uh than hurt locker but i think hurt locker succeeds more than strange days The strange days uh is is very ambitious and it stumbles a bit in in a lot of those things and bringing it all together um but ultimately, it's still very satisfying. And again, it's also a film I would probably watch before Hurt Locker. But it's also weighed down by being a little overly long. It's about mm. two and a half hours as well. And then and and it feels... It,
1: the Hurt Locker is never too long. I think it's just the right amount of everything it
0: does. It's a, it's a bit over two hours, but it earns that time. It yeah, for that, sure. It earns that length. So, yeah, I think this is a very agreeable ranking. Point it break builds a strong to, top three,
1: right? Like Point, point Break, Near Dark. Hurt lockers that what we're doing.
0: Yeah, I'm in I'm agreement with you. Again, it, it was not a hard sell for you to get me to say your dark is, is better than. Well,
1: I think it'll be equally easy for me to put uh, Zero Dark 30 in, <laughs> don't you?
0: Oh, man, this is. Uh, I'll just say for me, this is literally the bottom. I cannot. The low weight of water?
1: Like I, a, I a movie, can... I don't even know why it exists. I know.
0: Look, it's we had this conversation with blue steel versus weight of water and i st- and i still stand by that in terms of like boring is usually you know worse but this is like zero dark thirty i'm i'm, I'm actively re- re- repulsed by it like like every part of my being is is in you know combat with this this film it's again because it's it's good filmmaking in service of a, a repugnant messaging and you know a, a, a toxic ideal an agenda that it's pushing there so I, I i literally just i can't get behind it as in terms of any kind of like like quality here i will take the mundanity over you know weight of water over uh this but that then makes my opinion incredibly biased so i well, i appreciate here that it's not is i'm not going to argue it into last place necessarily because you you know there are praisable components of it that you will certainly argue in behalf of
1: there's certainly no other situation where i'll ever watch the way to water again um and i was happy to watch zero dark 30 and reappraise it and think that i'd come in lower but still kind of enjoy my tv guys and still enjoy jessica chastain and the uh, whole chase hunt of it all mm-hmm. I, i'm fine with it though because you give it a one out of ten and i give it a six i don't feel like we're on like firm ground where I could be like, let's put it above the love list or something. But I mean, personally, I'd put it above the love list. I just don't think that's our argument here.
0: Uh, I, I i definitely is yeah more, but but certainly I I understand as well. I was like, I'm I am going to concede to a certain extent here because this yeah. is our collective ranking, and I'm I'm not going to be able to like just you know. <laughs> stamp my feet down until you just give in and say oh yeah okay weight of water yeah what i'm not going to it's not gonna happen. that easy right. <laughs> no it's, it's not going to happen i understand that the, my the, i guess the better question is then so so you're already in agreement that it's uh, uh so all concede above weight of water you concede less than loveless for sure but yeah. where does it stand then versus blue steel. That gives
1: us the K 19 Blue Steel problem, which blue steel yeah. you believe is a fascist movie. And possibly so is this. So is this possibly <laughs> United States are also fascist. So um we could uh,
0: controversial as that might be.
1: Yeah I mean I it might be an accurate portrayal if we're a fascist in a movie. Um that might be a problem. But uh, I think like the overheightening of the uh torture and everything I think there's enough problems here that I'm fine with putting it below K19. Your hatred for it is seething, whereas my uh, K19 thing is I like watching Harrison Ford in a sub, but it doesn't do anything for me. So that's like
0: I would you know. I would rather do nothing for me this a movie like do nothing for me than be actively you know harmful in this messaging. Uh, yeah. So okay. yeah, okay. Lo, but so then, are you saying above Blue Steel? Then where are you where are you coming in? No, no. You no, you, you,
1: you could convince me either way on the Blue Steel. I I mean that's where I can concede where. I just think Blue Steel is an average movie, and I think uh, this is a little better, but right. hardly.
0: Again, be- because my opinion is so like like on both of them. Well, we'll taking this and yeah, so it's hard. Like, I think that obviously the messaging is worse in you know zero dark thirty, but you know they're they're I'm I'm cherry picking here because they're both terrible David, messaging reinforcing of this. <laughs> what's your favorite fascism? Uh... <laughs> you know what's funny is that I I saw some examples like contemporary examples talking about zero dark 30 where people were were, were literally drawing parallels of of catherine bigelow to lenny riefenstahl and (laughs) and that that is an extreme position to take and and one that i would not necessarily sign off on but like the the sentiment behind them and again this idea of 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 justifying the the representation through objectivism Mm -hmm. you know and passing that off I think the parallels then aren't entirely unfounded. Yeah, you know, it, but but I'm not, I'm not I'm not going to go so far as to say is Zero Dark Thirty is equivalent to Nazi propaganda. I don't it's, think
1: it's actually signed off by the government, and I don't think it's like a government-controlled piece of propaganda. I just think it's extremely you know dense in the you know 2000s uh, around like the Obama re-election and that kind of optimistic. Oh, I guess uh, anything's good if we portray it. Uh, I don't know. I, I mean, I'm fine with it if you put it, it above Kind of colored water. by the politics
0: of the time, and I think here, here's here's what I want to say. Yeah, uh, I, I want to ask you? Do you think the direction is better in Blue Steel or in Zero Dark Thirty? That hurts my head. <laughs> um, I, think
1: in, <laughs> I think it's better, in... I think it's better, I think
0: that's for shit. for for me. That's what it's gonna come down to. Because again, like it, it's. I think it's uh,
1: better in Blue Steel. I, I think I like different things about uh her or uh, Zero Dark Thirty that I don't in Blue Steel. I like the the cast of characters, but direction wise, I, I mean I'm fine with it. Let's put it below Blue Steel.
0: Okay, okay. <sighs> All right, that's 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 the hardest one. I think that was the hardest one to decide.
1: Yeah, I mean I I, I, I like it, but it is a composite list, much like Jessica Chastain is a composite character, <laughs> and we could do a controversial and. Uh, bad faith things like putting it down low on our list just like the movie does
0: <laughs> all right so detroit then the the detroit again it's a it's an odd case because again it's not uh, it's not like a case where the movie's just like boring bad or like has bad messaging you know but it's entertaining uh it's just it's great and utterly dull at the same time <laughs> in different ways and those yeah. those are almost kind of the worst kind of movies because it's like I can't outright just hate this movie. I have to have a nuanced opinion about it and dissect it. I can't just put it in a single box.
1: The argument's just so bland for it because of that hour of wasted space at the start. And then like the 20 minutes of wasted space at the end Mm that I mean, like we're really just arguing for one part of the movie, but we have to take it also as a whole picture Uh, where I think, I think it's in like the K-19 space. Really. I think it's somewhere around there. I think on either side of that. I
0: think so. For for mine personally I have it like above Blue Steel. Okay. But again the the, the gulf between it and Blue Steel is very big. So yeah. I mean um, I
1: I have it at the same rating as Blue Steel and I'd still I I mean any day I'd rather see this over that. Just because mm-hmm. that that section is so strong and it really does have something to say. Yeah. I think it has more to say than K19 obviously. But.
2: Uh
0: I I think so too, but do you think it's better than, than k-19 in terms of just like as an overall product like because despite what you think k19 k19 is at least consistent in what it offers uh whereas uh detroit is is not <laughs> i'd rather recommend it to someone than i would k19 i think that's i think that's fair uh let's uh, but before we kind of decide on that uh do you think it's definitely less than the lovelace
1: mm, that's interesting i have Loveless rated higher but but also i think the the argument might even be stronger for detroit uh, again if i were recommending something what right. would i recommend about the loveless other than you know a pretty solid debut movie I, that doesn't really move the needle
0: the, the loveless has a lot of stylistic uh elements yeah. of it that are still really really compelling i think again great performance from defoe regardless of it being you know like debut or not like it's 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 not just a historical you know, interest like just in terms of like, oh, this is the first film for Catherine Bigelow and Willem Defoe. That's why you should see it. I think it does have actual merits that would be worthwhile recommending okay. as a kind of like a, a an exemplar of a uh, biker kind of exploitation work throwback thing. Uh, yeah. So I, I I think it does have objective qualities um, outside of just those those kind of fringe interests. So personally, I would put the Loveless still above Detroit because it's important as. The messaging is and how right it gets it in that middle section of detroit uh as a co- cohesive whole it's just it's it's not there and so it it's hard to recommend fully
1: i think i'm happy with it between the love list and k9 k19 yeah
0: it's again an example where i i still favor k19 far more than the the list reflects but you're right 100 percent in that what detroit has to offer is inherently more valuable than what k-19 offers k-19 has has nothing that's the biggest critique i had against it it was a functional piece of like filmmaking to me like it was it was a popcorn movie i i said effectively uh detroit has has a message and meat to it and it and it lands it's really effective in that middle section but there's just so much shit around it that just doesn't
1: i just already can't believe you got k-19 above three other movies somehow that's not (laughs) how i thought this would go when we started i thought k-19 would be an obvious bottom but uh Somehow,
0: Bigelow's worked her way. You know, I thought Blue Steel was going to be the obvious bottom. <laughs> yeah. when it started, but you know that that did not pan out like that at all. I'm I, well, I'm surprised you, you you gave me as much room. You really took to heart that zero dark seething, thirty thing? seething hatred okay. that I had for zero dark thirty, which I which I appreciate. The, In that the, case, no. I
1: think you give me Detroit
0: as a yeah. Uh, no, I'm agree I'm, on more. I think that's very fair. I think Detroit above K nineteen is a is a fair assessment and reflection of our collective combined taste. because yeah. i think
1: we have the i think we have the same agreement about uh detroit and i think we're way apart on k19 so yeah that's ironically
0: the one we probably had the, the <laughs> largest disagreement on was zero dark 30 K- K- is probably the big one but other than that well, yeah. well well in terms of like overall enjoyment we're very in sync in terms of what we thought of the film and its politics but like we just have absolutely opposite opinions of, of K nineteen successes, <laughs> which again is is not the film I expected to be the contentious one of the group for us here, no. which is funny.
1: Yeah, I, I had no anticipation that you would take to K nineteen as you did, or that I, you would uh, feel that about Zero Dark Thirty. But uh, at yeah. least I understand the second one.
2: Yeah,
0: yeah, and and I'm glad some I I only regret that I can't. I hope you understand in the same vein how enjoyable K-19 is. I, I get it. I mean, uh,
1: Harrison Ford is on a submarine. I I know. I figured it out right away. What uh, <laughs> Liam Neeson, Harrison Ford are on a submarine. Bad CG. Um, they break through the ice at some point. That's fun.
0: Yeah. Russian accents.
1: Uh, should, I, should I read down our complete list? We did please, it.
0: Please do. We did it. We ranked a Panther whole director.
1: Yeah. yeah. One whole director. Number one, Point Break. Two, Near Dark. Three, The Hurt Locker. Four, Strange Days. Five, The Loveless. Six, Detroit. Seven, K nineteen. Eight, Blue Steel. Nine, Zero Dark Thirty. And ten, The Weight of Water.
0: Yep, yeah, that feels that feels that great right. for how we felt for yeah. us on here. And I think again, a very interesting filmography overall. Very, you know, a varied filmography. Uh, you know, very like fluctuating filmography there was a lot more bad in here than i was expecting Me too. uh yeah. ha- having only seen a handful of bigelow's films going in but ultimately they were all worth watching in some capacity um just I, for I'm, this
1: whole picture of her i oh, think i uh, very oh, rewarding
0: I'll, I'll also no the, the weight of water wasn't worth watching but
1: yeah um, i mean like uh just to get the entire picture of a career even the downsides yeah, but that's that's
0: Yeah, uh, but that's the only reason it's valuable. Otherwise, (laughs) but most every other film merited a a viewing in some way or another. And they were Mm all interesting in how they painted the wider picture of her filmography in her work. And I hope it's not the last. I hope we'll have a special episode down the line where we cover whatever new Catherine Bigelow film is out. Yeah,
1: if any of our directors we cover come out with new works, if someone reincarnates Rankin and Bass and they do a new special, (laughs) of course we're going to cover it absolutely I'm very happy with this and uh and our next one of course um recently deceased filmmaker that we both uh, have much appreciation for would you like to announce the next show
0: yes uh so we'll, we'll be taking the next week off uh just to give us a little bit of a buffer and prep time between directors here but uh, in february we will be returning with uh, the films of peter bogdanovich the the wonderful new hollywood maverick uh with sensibilities of uh the the old guard and And uh, all all of the old masters he's got a lot of films
1: and a lot of them are tv specials that we haven't seen so that's exciting
0: well and that's that's really the impetus for this is that um when we talk about peter bogdanovich films we talk about the first four his 70s yeah we talk about the four in you know the first four in the 70s that he made with his wife uh, sometimes we talk about the ones that came after in the 70s that were less successful and saw his falling out. Uh, there's a little bit of cult following around uh, maybe one or two of his 80 films, his, his films in the 80s, and then nothing.
1: Radio silence. So we're going to cover those spaces. And,
0: and we will be covering all of them.
1: Everything. Even the docs in its own special, yep. I believe. So.
0: Yeah. But that, that includes all of the TV movies he did. <laughs> Uh, in, in like the 2000s, all of the weird shit that's in there. We're going to dig deep and we're going to watch them. We're going to be probably the only people on the internet <laughs> who have. But you know what? Take that blank check. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so that is going to be very exciting. That's going to be a lot lengthier um, than, than this series was. But yeah. it's going to be a worthwhile endeavor. Uh, and hopefully we're not going to exhaust ourselves in the process. But I'm excited to get into it because I love peter bogdanovich as a, as a filmmaker and as a film personality i was devastated by his passing it felt mm. like uh just a, an era just ended it just felt like some a, a huge part just like whoosh, just disappeared yeah and so i'm i'm going to be very excited to be going back and highlighting his, his very unique voice in in cinema and particularly as a as a director and his directorial style and how it evolved over the ages as well because again it's it's a very varied career
1: and with that many TV TV movies, the rankings could get real weird. So I'm really oh, excited yeah. to see how strange they get.
0: This is this is going to be pretty bananas. It's to see how it's going to end up here. Uh, and I'll, I'll be surprised what you think as well, because you've yeah. seen less Bogdanovich films than I have. I've seen those first four.
1: So mm-hmm.
0: yeah, and so yeah, so your your perception of him is very much like it'll be covered in the first episode, right? Yeah, like, yeah. yeah. <laughs>
1: from there so, i'm just
0: yeah yeah there, just I'm discovering fly, everything flying blind it'll be it'll be very interesting but i'm going to be happy to go through it together so yeah keep an eye out for us there on uh the the twin geeks in february where we bring you the, the change of the guard the films of peter bogdanovich
1: and other than that you could look at i'm thinking of spoiling things this week for a discussion on Macbeth, the tragedy of Macbeth, the new cohen movie you could look at uh ranking the monsters for a couple things coming next week uh i don't know what else we're doing we're at sundance von night, so uh that's
0: cool is there anything yeah. at sundance interesting to you right uh,
1: now speak no evil a danish horror film about like a german couple who goes on a vacation finds like a another family and goes vacations with them i have one called a um, Jihad Rehab, which kind of fits a couple of her movies today about reforming jihadist attitudes in like a, a prison or something. So excited to see that and figure out uh, some of the documentaries. Um, I have one with, um, you'll just see on the site. I don't want to okay. overcommit yeah. to what I'm I actually cover, but uh, keep, keep Aubrey in- Plaza's in one of them that I'm excited about. So we'll see.
0: Yeah, take a look at that. Follow us, thetwingeeks.com if you want to see all those interesting reviews from Calvin, uh, as well as all of the other plethora of, of podcast and content we have coming out. Um, the return of the Daydream cast is imminent. It is also reforming itself in a new and interesting way, as as we have here, so please tune in for that, as well as the, you know, impending 1986 uh, podcast. That, that will be interesting. That's happening definitely the end of this month
1: yeah i believe so <laughs> uh, and then we'll have new news we'll we'll let them do their new news though we don't need to announce it for them but yeah we're yeah, just... we're all very excited about where they're going
0: absolutely um and uh the three letters five mics yes
1: yeah that'll come back sometime too we have to do it yeah okay. we have to do nas and okay that's we have a lot of shows going
2: we do uh
0: and let's not forget don't let the modern cast get you the new the the coverage of all of the modern media films Mm -hmm. uh you guys just did uh, did the release or is it just recorded so far we just
1: did cruven county which came out this week and then we have another one coming next week on sammy i believe sammy in the pit great Uh, so we'll be going through the druid films (laughs)
0: <laughs> the, the druid saga yeah <laughs> that will be be quite fun if you guys listening out there don't know what the motor media films are or who matt farley is uh look it up it's important
1: yeah i mean they're doing good work uh we're talking about a guy who's done twenty three thousand recorded songs you'll hear him on the outro of every episode of this show uh and and in that show so
0: yeah delightful and, and, and always a wonder to hear so, so much coming at you still from the Twin Geeks and uh, so much more. So even in our week of absence, as we prep for our next filmmaker, you'll still have plenty to to absorb here. So And this might you. take you a whole week to listen to, so enjoy it. It might. This is going to be a longer episode. I, you're going to have some trouble editing it down. <laughs> It'll be fine. Okay, well, thanks everyone so much for listening, of course, and uh, join us again here real soon.
2: conversations and I post them online for entertainment it's nice to know at least you listen to the show because it's quite the possibility that nobody is listening to me in this modern world things have changed everybody's entertaining who's being entertained thank you for listening I really appreciate You took the time